Good morning, everyone. As always, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you today on the Lord's Sabbath day. And we're going to be continuing our sermon series in the book of Hebrews, The Faithful Outcasts, as we spoke about before. And we all feel, we feel it more each week. We are being pushed out of the culture, not even just Christians, but anyone who respects God's law, uh, what the pagans or what the humanists would call natural law. We know it's God's law. It's codified in his word, so we have no doubt about it. If you observe the commands against stealing and adultery and sexual perversion and bearing false witness, you will be pushed out of your society, your community at large. And that's why I've been warning for over 10 years that we need to form solid communities. We need to have true fellowship with one another, even as we meet people uh, throughout the country. And thanks to you and many of the gifts uh, that you've helped us with, we're able to get online again and more consistently as we upgraded some things. And we're always grateful for that. But we're going to be continuing our sermon series today. We're in part 17 of this sermon series. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. And just to bring you up to speed, last week we had delivered a sermon and it was entitled, it was titled, You Never Waste Your Time. And we want to re remind people, especially many of you age maybe 60 and older, some of you even in your uh, 80s, that you didn't waste your time. What's happening now, what God needs to do is literally tear down the Tower of Babel that men have created once again. And that's what we're living through. It's extremely scary, but it's also a blessing to be able to witness it and to be able to witness God's power. So all this power that the establishment thinks that they have, God will bring it to naught. He will break it down. And you and I just have to be faithful. And as they say in the common vernacular, hang in there and things will work out for us. But we need community. And unfortunately, we're very spread out. But fortunately, we do have the technology to reach one another. So I want you to be encouraged if you labored in the gospel, if just like a story out of the New Testament, you've lost family and friends for standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ, it was worth it. You did not waste your time. What's happening now with this generation, the younger generation, it's their time to do battle for the Lord. And that's exactly what's happening. And as I start doing my covenant reports, and there'll be one out this week, you're going to see this is what we're battling against. This is the recreated Tower of Babel. They even brag about it. If you type in on a internet search, the Tower of Babel, EU symbol, like I did, you see all this comes up. Europe, many tongues, one voice. They know what they're saying. They're self-conscious about it. And we see even their parliament building, the old image of the Tower of Babel through tradition, they've recreated their EU parliament building to look just like the Tower of Babel. So they know what they're saying and they're going for it and they're defying God. And I have no fear when it comes to these people. I am absolutely fearful of God 
and when he gets fed up and his judgment falls upon the earth and upon nations. So I fear the Lord, not men. I also know that God has promised us to provide a cleft in the rock if we're faithful. This is exactly what we're going through. So you at this time in the year 2023 are witnessing the recreation of the Tower of Babel, which is they've attempted before throughout history. And God will split us up again. Because as we're going to see from our scripture today in Hebrews chapter 6, by all means we are allowed different people, different ethnic groups to unite under the banner of Christ and the gospel and salvation and loving one another. We are not to unite just physically. That is oppression. That is how they control you. This is the oldest form of conquest. You mix different people groups, ethnic groups that don't get along, and with them busy fighting one another and being confused, they can never form an alliance and go against you, uh, the, those who are in charge. So this is an old, old strategy. Nothing new under the sun, saith the preacher. So yes, we are literally witnessing the rebuilding, attempted rebuilding of the Tower of Babel. Will it fail? Of course it will. And that's why I'm still here bringing the good word and encouraging everyone. So last week, the Apostle Paul was exhorting us, and, and that sermon's up. Uh, you never waste your time. You can watch that. We also have the outline, and we have a better format as far as looking at the scriptures together. But you'll see that the Apostle was exhorting people to be encouraged, that you definitely didn't waste your time. It's for the glory of God. And we should be fearful, not of these people, but we should fear the Lord first. And we, we should also have a heart because we know when God drops his hand, it's the heaviest hand in all of creation in the universe. And it's going to be a terrible judgment. And we're already getting a taste of it. So that was last week. We had some great encouragement from the scriptures. This week we'll be in Hebrews chapter 6. And again... We're able to look at the scriptures together, praise God. So if you're following with me, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be working through verses 13 through 20. And as you know, we like to do old Puritan style, uh, verse by verse, line upon line, good old reformed three-point sermon. And that's what we're trying to present here. So you can open up, and the title of today's sermon is There Is No Maybe. So we're going to see... In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20, God makes a declaration. God makes a promise. And God is saying that that promise is certain and it's sure. And that's why the title of today's sermon is, There is no maybe. When I say something, it might be a maybe. I'm not God. It might not come to pass. When you say something... You might do your best to keep your word, uh, to have things be uh, come to pass, whatever you said, but you have no control over that. We're not sovereign. But regardless of the opinion of the world, the God that they disrespect is going to have his will done. And there is no baby. It's an absolute promise. So you can rebel all you want. You can play all the games you want. Uh, you can work against God. But these things are going to come to pass. And we who fear God 
and have tasted his mercy, our job is to warn them before they get smashed, that they have that come to Jesus moment where they break themselves upon the cornerstone and give up their pride and give up their sin and confess Christ as Lord before the cornerstone is dropped upon them. And then there is no chance for repentance because you are squished and your existence is ended and you will go to hell. And that's the message that the church used to teach. Traditional Christianity, true Christianity was always bold, stood up to the world. It was intellectually rigorous. It was also honest. And we didn't care about people's feelings. We cared about the sovereignty of God. And many of the neo-reformed have forgotten that. They claim to be reformed, but they're some type of evangelifish, as we say, with no backbone and change the message so not to offend anyone. Now, me being a sinner myself, there's things I read in the Bible where I'm offended. There's things that I don't want to apply uh, from God's word because that's my nature. But I do it anyway, and I don't make excuses for myself. So remember, the Lord, the Lord God, his promises are certain. And this is what we're up to in scripture. They can try all they want to fortify the Tower of Babel, uh, Jesus Christ as Lord cannot be undone, and they will be smashed. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our scripture. Again, Hebrews chapter 6, we'll be going through verses 13 through 20. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, the great and living God, the terrible God of the covenant, the one whom we fear, the one whom we love, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your promises throughout history, your prophecy. Uh, those prophecies that have come true is proof that you are sovereign and your guiding hand controls everything. We ask you, Lord, to please forgive our sins of the weak and thought, word, and deed. We want to be in a right relationship and in a productive and fruitful fellowship with you, Lord. So please, uh, we ask uh, through the work of your son, again, that you would forgive us our sins, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you provide. We pray that you continue to give us courage. I pray, Lord, that you would control my tongue and my speech, that I would only speak the truth, regardless of the consequences, that I would only glorify you, Lord, in, in the things that I speak from your word. So we ask, Lord, you be with us, and we always ask in the name of our only king, our great high priest and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can open up to Hebrews chapter 6, again, verses 13 through 20. We're going to take a couple verses at a time. So first we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. So let's read it through the whole thing, and then we'll focus on verses 13 through 16. And we'll see how we could, how God moves us along. So we're told, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that's us, Immutability of his counsel, 
confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, and we'll explain what that is, in which it was impossible for God to lie, he might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, amen, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless the reading of his word. So these first couple of verses, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men verily swear an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So here we have a promise being made. So the sovereign God of the covenant swore by his name the impossible would come to pass. Even at an advanced age, the seed of Abraham will be multiplied. Remember him and Sarah, around 100 years old, it's not looking too good. People don't have children at that time, but it happened. And God did this to show that it's not my word or your word or the word of some expert or they say, right? People say, oh, they say, well, who are they? Well, I don't know, they say. Well, whatever the zeitgeist of the time is, we don't care. What God says stands. And there is no maybe, it's going to come to pass. So when God decrees something, there is no maybe, it shall come to pass. And this is why in Reformed teachings, Things like the eternal decrees of God are discussed because God does decree things that come to pass. This is not that rubbish of open theism. Well, God really doesn't know. No, God knows. He knows all things. And God is a progenitor of all things. So it's not a maybe. When God says it, it's going to come to pass. And he means it. Whether I like it or whether you like it, it doesn't matter. It's based on his sovereignty. And this is the kind of faith, this is what we need to explain again and, and not be afraid to speak to people this way. So we have to go back to Genesis chapter 22 to see what's going on here. We can't just take a text from the New Testament and not examine it. That wouldn't make us good Bereans. So if you turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 22, we'll see verses 11 through 19. This is what the writer was talking about. What was this promise that God made? How was this fulfilled? What is the reference? Well, we see right here, you can go through the rest of the story yourself when it comes to the attempted sacrifice of Isaac, the way Abraham was commanded. But we're going to see that God did this as a test of faith. Abraham also had faith. He knew that God would have a substitute for Ab for Isaac, and even if he didn't, he had faith in God's resurrective power that he could even bring his son back to life after he sacrificed him, if that was his will. So that's why Abraham, with all of his weaknesses, with his imperfections, we love him, we can relate to him, God loved him, because it shows Abraham's character as, as wishy-washy as he could be like all of us at times, he still came through. His faith came through. Now, if you're mindless or if you're one of those crazy brave people, 
following through on something, it's not really that much of a challenge. But when you're like Abraham, when you are the nervous type, the analytical type, you see this in his character, and he follows through anyway, that shows real trust in the Lord. And that's encouragement for us. There's times you're going to doubt. There's times you're going to be a bundle of nerves, as they say. But God will bring you through. You just have to walk the steps that you're commanded to walk. So let's read this narrative. What is this whole thing of God making this covenant promise and he kept it? Well, let's look. Starting at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for burnt offering in the steed of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, and this is why we talk about the angel of the Lord being the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, because it's consistent in scripture. Just look, look, look at these verses. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and has not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice, so Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. One of the most beautiful, important, and wonderful parts of Scripture. We see why God is the God he is and why we love him. He is consistent. And again, unlike you and me, where well, we can be inconsistent. Again, with God, there is no maybe. So we see here, this is the, the fulfilling of the uh, that part of the covenant. Now, we as we move on to the next uh, couple of verses, we're going to see how the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled. But this makes no sense if, again, if it's only physical Israel. This is physical Israel and spiritual Israel, which we'll get into. But you see, with all these variables through time, God fulfilled what he was going to fulfill. That's why we don't honor traditions like the Talmud that make Abraham into a superhero, even worse, the Kabbalah, which ascribe magical powers to him. Abraham was just a man, a man that God loved, but it was God's power that brought him through. It was the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that brought Abraham through it. It wasn't of his own volition, of his own power. And we see that this is an amazing prophecy. Amazing. And that's the second point in our sermon. The apostle explains, the Lord gave this prophecy for our encouragement. 
those who are children of Abraham, biologically and more important, spiritually, would increase in number. The Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. All people have equal access to the mercy of God. God's oath and promise could not be broken. And that's what's meant in these next couple of lines here, verses 17 through 19. We see right here, oh, let me go back, excuse me. Wherein God, let me highlight it for you. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, God's word and his decree, the oath he made and what he set forth in motion, God's decrees and God's word cannot be broken. So God makes a promise, which is synonymous with a decree. You cannot break it. It's going to happen. As messy as history and life gets, it shows God's power and his sovereignty. It still happens. So these are the two immutable things that can't be changed. When God makes a statement, it is so. God speaks things into existence. Not you, not me, not anything else, not even the devil doesn't have that power. God's word is immutable. God's decree is immutable. So in that it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Remember, this is all tabernacle imagery and later on temple imagery. The Holy of Holies covered with a veil, something that was hidden. Nothing is hidden from us anymore. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ going into, holy, into the Holy of Holies, fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, tearing down that veil. Even when Christ was on the cross, that's what that description was for. The veil was torn. There is no more obstacle between anyone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no more obstacle between them and God the Father. An amazing accomplishment by the Son of God. An amazing thing that he did for us. So this is the promise. That's why we say it makes no sense if it's only the physical offspring of the children of Abraham. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was a Hebrew. He was picked out of a certain ethnic group to form his own ethnic group. And they eventually took the name Jew from the tribe of Judah and the kingdom that was established. But they were Hebrews. To be a Hebrew meant to be a wanderer. So we have Hebreo-Christian um, culture and foundation. There is no Judeo-Christian foundation. The Judaism that is followed today, it's just like Mormonism or just like Islam. It's, it's beyond heresy. It's straight apostasy. And a lot of it is evil. And they disgrace the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in our culture, we've been taught to have all this animosity towards Islam, and we should and we should be careful, not with the people, but with the beliefs, because they blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But modern-day Judaism gets a pass 
And that's very dangerous. And you're not helping the Jewish people. You claim to love them, but then you have Christian Zionists, you know, basically kissing their feet and, and worshiping the nation of Israel. And that's not what we are to do. We are to love the Jewish people themselves and to be a faithful witness and to be there for them and to protect them as the as the elder brethren now, the larger group, now the larger group of true Jews are Gentiles. So we are to guard against uh, true anti-Semitism or persecution of these people. And we want to be able to protect them because as Paul said in the book of Romans, uh, they might be cursed for the gospel's sake, but they're beloved for the Father's sake. But to worship the physical nation is insanity. And many people, they know better than to worship Rome or Italy, because that's where many of the foundations of the church began. And we have we have books in the New Testament to talk about the the instances where the gospel was spread throughout Rome. And, but we don't worship that physical location. So why would we do that with the nation of Israel? So we don't fall into that. We're actually helping people to sin and have pride in their, their physical blood as opposed to their spiritual blood. The, and to have pride in their own blood as opposed to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful with that. And we see that these scriptures make no sense. Now, how do I know when it talks about these promises, it was to both Jew and Gentile? because I have New Testament scriptures to back it up, and that's where we're going to go next. So we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and have it highlight a few. And again, the mystery of the gospel, it's beautiful. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, sums it up quite succinctly. So let's look at this together. For this cause, I, Paul... The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, and that's not a special time period. It means to dispense, to give out like a dispenser, a candy dispenser, a soap dispenser. It's his time to give the gospel and he's going to bring it to the Gentiles. It's not a different gospel. It's the gospel. It's always a message of grace throughout the entire Bible. There never was a covenant of works. It was always a covenant of grace. Our creation was a grace of God. He didn't do things because we did things. It's always been grace from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Messiah, Mashiach. What is he saying? Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see there, capital S, the Holy Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach 
among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amazing attitude by Paul, right? So many ministers, you TV people, radio people, so full of themselves, like they're just a gift to the world. Paul, the possibly the greatest preacher of all time, besides the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is so humble in spirit that he, he's the least of all because he, he is a sinful man and he, he was a sinful man. But God's grace is what gave him the power to be able to bring the gospel. How dare anyone be arrogant in bringing the gospel and thinking they're God's gift? As if God couldn't kill all the preachers today and raise up new ones tomorrow if he wanted. As if God cannot have the rock speak if he wanted to proclaim the gospel. So in his humbleness, and Paul continues, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul, who was a physical descendant of Abraham, he was a Jew of Jews from the, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a physical descendant, but more important, after persecuting the church, committing much evil, he became a spiritual descendant. Let me just highlight the face only a mother could love so I could get this point out to you. So again, this is the point I'm making. This is what I want to bring out. This is what this, the point the scriptures are making. To be physically of Hebrew descent or later on Jewish descent, wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there was a special line that God had. But even more important, you have to grasp Messiah. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to believe in the promised Messiah, where you're now just not just a physical descendant, but a spiritual one. And this is the unity and the beautiful tree, the beautiful olive tree that God has made according to his sovereignty and his decree, that the whole world, which was with at war with God and then at war with his people, with his with his covenant people, the, the Hebrew and then the Jewish people, would now take the identity, would take on the identity of this peculiar God that this people had, the smallest tribe, the smallest group of people on the planet, that all people now to be saved would identify with their God, the God of the scriptures, the God of the Bible, and through their promised Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the one who would bring us into the olam haba as our jewish friends call it the world to come so this is a great work that's done but again we see it's fine if you're part of the physical line the most important thing is to be part of the spiritual line so you are like paul you are physically a hebrew and then spiritually hebrew and you're in or you're like gentiles people who are not jewish I even heard the letting Italians into heaven. I know it's crazy, but I heard it's true. But the point is, even Rome, which opposed God and opposed his people, would 
so many would take the name of Christ and would be saved through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message. So God's greatest enemies kneel at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the physical descendants who became spiritual descendants and the Gentiles who became spiritual descendants are now one. This is a great mystery. It was God's people versus the world. It was this little strip of land with this peculiar, crazy people, uh, the size of New Jersey, in the center of the world. Israel connects uh, Africa and the Middle East, and and it's a land bridge where you can make your way into Europe. It really is the center of the world. it's, It's the center of the world, even today when you look on the map. And this little strip of land God used to bring forth the Messiah through all types of trials and tribulations. That's why it's an encouragement to us. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. This is what Paul's explaining. Amazing, truly amazing when you think about it. Um, and then the last verse that we're going to look at, some people have superheroes that they love and they admire. Um, I love Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, to me, a... Uh, Superman, Captain America, Batman, uh, all rolled into one. So mysterious, so powerful, so respected. Uh, let me just shrink this down so we can look at it together. And an amazing story, so mysterious. My favorite um, character in the Bible. So we're going to see in the in the last verse how better for Paul to end this argument argument them with this. And again, Hebrews chapter 6, when verse 20, the last verse, we'll look at this, we'll look at today. So Paul drops this bomb on us right at the end. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews nails down his argument using the great Melchizedek to emphasize the peculiar priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through our great high priest, we have access to the throne of God forever. If you remember from your studies, you'll remember how priests had to be of a certain line. They had to be of of the tribe of Levi. So all priests were of the tribe of Levi, but not all the sons of Levi were priests. That would be from the tribe of Levi, that would be from Aaron's line, the Aaronic line. And then that all these other peculiar um, characteristics they had to meet. You had to be whole in body. You had uh, some other type of prohibitions uh, you, you needed to heed before you could be a priest. And priests were appointed at a certain age, around age 30, and they also were retired at a certain age. Well, Melchizedek, when we encounter him in Scripture... He has no connection. Uh, he's speaking to Abraham, if you remember. And Abraham paid tithes to him. He has no connection to Aaron or to Aaron's sons. And he's a priest. Very mysterious. And I, I actually love the, 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 the Jewish tradition. I find it very interesting um, where they say it's, it's possibly Shem, meaning if you count the years from the flood, it could be Shem who lived in Kariot carried on the law of God and and settled in the area. Again, that's extra biblical. 
I'm not saying that's absolutely true. Again, I just think it's a great story, and it, and it shows the the uh, mysterious quality of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek didn't need to have a certain mother or father. He just was a priest. God made him a priest, and he never retired. And that archetype, that example, is being used to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ did not have these parameters that regular priests had. Not only that, he's the great king and priest, uh, like Melchizedek had this this power, this, uh, and he also had this this priestly function. And we see in the Old Testament that wasn't allowed. Uh, we remember Hezekiah went into the temple and was struck with leprosy, so that wasn't allowed. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our prophet, priest, and king. This is what makes him so new, so unique, and it's nailed down by alluding to a beautiful. A person in scripture and again this is linked to the messianic psalm which we'll look at together psalm 110 so if you had any doubt about it read psalm 110 and we'll end with that a psalm of david the lord said unto my lord sit thou at my right hand until i make thine enemies thy footstool the lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of zion rule thou in the midst of thine enemies Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou as the dew of thy youth, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head so we see this could not be applied to david we also remember from the gospel narrative the lord jesus christ challenged the pharisees on this scripture they had no answer for him obviously it wasn't solomon it was the lord speaking to the lord so this was the kingdoms being given to the lord jesus christ and again god's decrees throughout history prove and show everything everything comes to pass remember as i said before with god there there is no maybe it's going to happen when the lord says it's going to happen it's going to happen and just to nail it down we have this messianic psalm none of this makes sense how could one little tribe of people on a small strip of land their God that made them record his word in the scriptures through, throughout their history, everyone now bows to their Messiah. And many of the flags, you see the old European flags with the crosses in it, it's symbolic. They, they bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. They accept what he did. So from one man... Late in age, him and his wife, beyond childbearing years, to be called out from the land of Ur, to be brought of that, out of that area, uh, the old fertile crescent, and to be made into a people, and to suffer through all these trials and tribulations. We know that God's word is true. So his promise cannot be broken. So remember that. With God, there is no maybe. And... This is what we're fighting against, that tower, 
men, again, are insane enough to try and make this world empire. And that's why we're going through what we're going through. And that's what the wars were about. And that's what Ukraine is about. And that's what the other future wars they're going to start in the Middle East and in Africa. That's what that's about. It is a banking perverted empire. One language, one money, everything centralized, the people mixed up and centralized. It's not built on the faith of the Bible. It's built on the power of man. So don't be shocked by things that are going to transpire in coming days. We don't need to be scared. We need to be courageous. And that's the main thing for you and I. We need to be courageous. So we'll be continuing our sermon series soon. And we'll also do our covenant report. And I'll explain some things about what's going on right now. I think the first topic I'll try and tackle will be the money system. So you understand that the Bible applies to all things. All things either done according to God's word or they're not, including a money system. And the one we're under is not, and they're attempting to change it. And we don't want to fall into any of the traps and pitfalls involved therein. And that's the true faith. We speak to everything. We guide our people. We're not immature. We're not babbling charismatics. We're not over-emotional. We're not brain-dead fundamentalists where we can't discuss things. The gospel is all-encompassing. So when someone says, just preach the gospel, that's great. The gospel and the gospel principles, the regenerative power of the gospel applies to money and politics and culture and all of these things. We are to challenge evil in our day, not to just shut up and hide. And again, to my friends, I thank you for your support. Can't wait to speak to you again. And to my enemies, I pray for you. And I hope that you're touched by the Lord Jesus Christ and that you're saved. And you know where I am. I'm not hiding. So let's pray and end our sermon. Almighty God, the great and living God, we thank you, Lord, for the way you protect your people. It breaks our hearts, Lord, to see them. In this day, try and recreate the Tower of Babel and defy you and your Son and the Holy Ghost. We know you have to smash it, Lord. We ask that you would remember your people and protect us and give us that cleft in the rock. We pray you keep us safe and, more importantly, faithful. Until we meet again, again next week. And we always thank you in the name of our great prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you and be well.